Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Mike. How are you doing? Pretty good. I have an embarrassment of riches. I got to talk to Mike twice in one week. Does it feel good to be a free woman in America, Jamie? <laughs> it kind of does. With a running car. <laughs> oh, oh, God, don't get me started. All right, we won't. Okay, one thing. <laughs> Mike, my car is still not fixed properly. Are we going to get an update from Charlie the mechanic again? <laughs> that asshole? Look, that dude. Hmm. All right, don't get started. Don't go down the, the rabbit hole, the mechanic rabbit hole. Jamie, this is Making a Murderer on West Coast Project, and we are here to do our first episode in it. That's right. You had initially declined to do this podcast, Jamie. What made you change your mind? Because I miss you. You're so full of shit. (laughs) Mike, I'm telling you, it is out of the goodness of my heart and finding you to be a fascinating, wonderful person and knowing you didn't have anybody to do this with you. I had plenty of people to do it. Don't do me any favors. Are you serious? Like, you don't want me to do Making a Murderer? No, I didn't you? say I don't want you to do it. I said other people were wanting to do it. Who? My niece was really good at it. She's going to probably do a couple more with me. And some oh. other people want to do it. Okay. I'll I don't need you. no charity. <laughs> I don't need no Making a Murderer charity. <laughs> Jamie, this is episode three, Plight of the Accused. Uh... I just finished rewatching it. it. This is a this sucks some emotion out of you when you watch these episodes. Well, that's why I didn't want to do it the first time. Remember, I told you it made me cry. What's your gut feeling about this? Is is he capable of being the murderer? No. Yeah, me too. I, I think he's well. I think he's probably capable, but I don't think he is the murderer. I don't think he did it. But I have a stronger emotion after this rewatch, Jamie, from having it ended eight minutes ago. <laughs> is <laughs> the audience to this macabre play is is really fascinating. All the people that watched this happen to this poor guy and to Brandon, Brendan, Brandon, whatever. They, what were, what's going on with them? What's going on with us, the public who watched this happen to these two people? Well, you know, it really kind of does put you in mind of the, um, what's the word? The, the, I can't think of the word, the, the lack of motivation that people have to do something. Like, you know, their own inertia kind of holds them back, I think, sometimes from doing the right thing. And I think there are a lot of people there who could have maybe contributed to at least stopping some of the, the, you know, the the bad stuff that happened in setting this guy up, which is what I think happened with him. And then, you know, the other... Uh-oh. I'm sorry. There's, like, some sort of internet connection problem. You sound fine. Popped up. Are you there? Yeah, you sound fine. Mike? Well, you sound fine. You Mike? don't hear fine. I can hear you. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Were you going to let me just sit there and go, hello? No, I kept telling you I can hear you, and you didn't hear me. I didn't hear you. I couldn't hear you. Okay, so anyway. Um, so, yeah, so I think people's, um, you know, people can be complacent. That's what I, I meant. Um, about things like that. But I don't know what you mean. If you mean, like, us, the audience, just watching, like, yeah, watching the, the show. the courtroom, the, peop- the press. Like, the what's wrong with us for media, watching it? Everybody, the people in the courtroom, pe- people in the media. 
the press, everybody, man. When when Buting and the other lawyer talk, you're like, wow, finally, some people with some fucking common sense who know what the hell's going on here. You know, finally, some common sense, some sanity uh, here. Can you hear uh, me, Jamie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this sounds kind of weird, but... It's, okay, it's, this is going to be a long podcast if everything, every other sentence is... Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Um, maybe we could reboot it, restart it. Do you have good internet otherwise? Yeah, I haven't had any problems. Okay. But yeah, it's when the, when the lawyers, the good lawyers finally get involved, you finally think, wow, all right, finally some sanity, some common sense. We're going to finally get to the bottom of this. But no, they're, the, they're the voices in the crowd. They're not the common sense. They're just the... They're just, I don't know, they're the outliers when they should be the public. They should be all of us. Yeah, okay, so, so yeah. Um, there, you know, it was really, it's interesting that you said that because um, that the attorney that, um, that he hired, that he ended up hiring, um, the really smart guy that they said the, the, the cops are afraid of him, the, the attorney with the dark um, hair and the glasses, and he's the one who said, who was talking, you know, who was really speaking intelligently about this whole case and was talking about, you know, um, understanding why the police might feel motivated to plant evidence and do the other things that they've done, that he could identify with their human feelings um, about that. Yeah, I think that's Jerry Buting. They're, they're, I'm looking for the other guy's name. I'll, we'll come across it as we go through the episode. But they're both pretty uh, – they're on par with each other. They're both brilliant. They're both heroes in this thing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just so glad that – I mean the, the reason why I brought him up just now is because when you said that like a few moments ago when you were talking about how um, how – you know, when you hear from these intelligent people, you're thinking, finally, you know, somebody's on there who makes some sense. That was exactly my thought. Like when when that guy appeared on the scene and they, you know, they showed him before they let us hear him. You know, when he opened his mouth, I thought, oh, thank God, somebody is here who's like who's got their, you know, their wits about them, because it really does feel like, you know, nobody's driving, you know, this van that's careening, you know, off the edge of a cliff kind of thing. Right. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing how this develops the way it does with no sanity, just no common sense. Mm-hmm. I understand the motivations. I understand the stupidity of some of the people. They all play their parts perfectly. They they are true to form. Steven, true to form, not very bright. Brandon, stupid kid, poor, dumb kid. His mom's a dumb lady. True to form, man. There, there's no surprises there. But the outside people who are witnessing this thing unravel or, or unroll itself – that's fascinating to me because there should be a lot more common sense than than what happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's awful, you know. And the, I think probably the one that I, the person that I find the most compelling in this whole thing to watch is his mother. I mean, I don't know that I've heard her say a single word. Has she said anything? Yeah, she's spoken. In the last episode, she had a really big part where she had mailed out a bunch of stuff to media she packed like 10 boxes she copied like thousands of pages of 
script by hand and t- tried to get Stephen's story out to everyone, packed it all up herself. You could picture this poor lady. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm repeating some of what we talked about in episode two, but picture this poor lady and whatever, you know, in the, in the non-internet where not everybody has a printer, and certainly she has no fucking printer in that Wisconsin shack. Picture her sitting there in her living room trying to copy pages after pages and putting boxes of documentation together to send off to media, and then it all comes back to her. Oh, no. I didn't see episode two. I'm really glad that I didn't see it. That's awful. Yeah. And she's uh. just a soldier. She looks like a she looks like a Elizabeth's mother from the Americans. This poor peasant lady, just stuck in the stuck in medieval times, just without any resources, just trying to fight a war that she has very little chance of winning. Yeah, yeah she, she's she's very forlorn. She's, I mean, you couldn't have cast a woman more perfectly for this role than she actually is in real life. Yeah, you know what? That's really it's fascinating the way you put that, and it's true. I mean, that lady looks like the, the very picture of tragedy. That's just sad. And I like to drop uh, inferences to our other podcasts. I know. It was so clever. No, it's, it's hard to find humor in this, in this um, whole series. Yeah. God, I'm still scrolling for that freaking other attorney, too. Jerry Buting and... Okay, let's see. Um, we'll find it. You scroll, I'll look. So, um, so it starts with the beginning. Uh, it starts with Mark Undrum, the the state politician, talking about the benefit of the doubt becomes impossible. So Stephen might have had the benefit of the doubt when this new crime appeared, but now, or 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 a person might have had the benefit of the doubt. Just you're, hey, you're presumed innocent until you're proven guilty. But for Stephen, this is impossible. And this guy, Mark Gundrum, Gundrum tries, to, tries to say that that was, that was the situation at this point. Okay, um, Mike. Here, the attorneys are Dean Strang and Jerry Buting. Yeah, Dean Strang. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the Avery bill still gets signed, but everybody wants to wash their hands of it now because it looks like, wow, we just signed a bill. <laughs> this guy's name is on this bill, and he's a murderer. God damn it. What, what were we thinking? Right. Yeah. Um, and the state discontinues the compensation they were pursuing for, on Stephen's behalf. Yeah. Um, and then Stephen's first attorney, or I guess is one of his middle attorneys, very first attorney way back was when he was found guilty for the rape. Then he had a civil, couple civil attorneys, and then he had these defense attorneys. But his, his middle attorney, Walter Kelly, is stunned. He, he comes on camera and says how stunned he is by how fast this has turned. This guy's about to win a $36 million civil lawsuit, and now he's going to jail for probably the rest of his life. And he, and he said um, that he was stunned at how quickly it turned from this guy being innocent to having no presumption of innocence whatsoever. Right. Yeah. All right, so we go we get the credit. So that's pretty good. I mean these these documentarians or whatever the word is for the for the <laughs> documentors of this story are brilliant because the way they pr- present this and then they hit the credits and then they go into the story again. It just just edited and cut together so well. Um it's just a perfect little story the way that they've packaged it. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I find it to be really compelling. And while I was watching it, I was thinking exactly kind of like along the lines of what you're you're talking about right now, which is they've really managed to make this real thing very, very entertaining and make it play like a, you know, like a like a reality show instead of a, you know, tragic documentary. Right. The scenes line up. It's all perfect. It's edited perfectly. Yeah. And there's even suspense because, you know, when you hear the thing about Brendan, you know, that was so fascinating. I don't I don't want to jump ahead, but um, I thought it was really interesting how long they held out before they told us about Brendan's actual mental state. Like we didn't know for a half hour, you know, that this guy wasn't mentally where he needed to be. Yeah, he appears to be just a normal kind of a dopey teenager in high school, 16-year-old kid. Might not have the most world, worldly sensibilities, but he does prove to actually have an affliction of yes. some sort. We're super low IQ. I think yeah. Steven's IQ is 70 or 90, and Brandon's must be half that. Yeah, it's got to be. I mean, that, that he's just, you know, poor thing. He's, he's innocent due to his mental state. You know, that, that kid, and I'm not saying he did anything wrong. What I'm saying is that, you know, that he... Um, He's excused for his mental state, maybe. Yeah. I, yeah, well, I mean, not, not even... I don't think he did anything. Right. Like, I don't think that kid did anything at all. Right. At, I get your point, though. At the very yeah. least, he should not be even help, be held accountable, accountable to be able to testify anything. Right. Yeah. All right, so let's reset the clock, Jamie. It's December 6, 2005, and the press is at the courthouse. Uh, Stephen has a new appointed lawyer. He's still got no resources, got no money. So he's got an appointed lawyer, Eric Loy. Um, and they're talking about putting up the Avery property, the auto salvage business in the houses and stuff to get him out of jail. Um, we meet Chuck Avery. If we haven't met him already, I actually can't remember if we've seen him in episodes one and two. But we see a few people here in, at the courthouse. Eric Loy, the lawyer. Uh, Chuck Avery, the brother, Karen and Tom Halbach, the parents of Teresa, all show up. Link and Sheriff Peterson. We meet the judge, Patrick Willis. Turns out to be somewhat of a scoundrel, I feel, in the next few episodes. (laughs) Um, But the goal of this first hearing is to determine if they have enough evidence to even have a trial. And, um, And, of course, we meet again Ken Kratz, the stud prosecutor with the with the manly voice. The, probably the most hateable person in this whole story. Uh, Jamie, do you know the whole story? You watched all 10 episodes? No, I haven't. What I watched watch? one, one and three. That's all right. Well, you learn to hate this guy, Ken Kratz. Uh, uh, it, and again, it couldn't be written believe, as believably as it, I mean, it would be unbelievable if it was written. Uh, but, but Ken Kratz is the prosecutor. So um, he starts out with Pamela Sturm. Pamela Sturm was the witness, or not the witness, but the search party person who found the Rev Four on the Avery property, mm-hmm. and she just happens to be Teresa's cousin, the victim's cousin. Right. So Jamie, just how thoroughly is this cake baked? The discoverer of the car is the victim's cousin. Yeah. The defendant of the, the all the defendants of the earlier suit are the law enforcement people. And the right. accused guy is the proven criminal. He's already proven to be guilty, according to everyone, even if he's falsely proven by all this. Right. Right? You don't hide a car in your own property. You don't burn bones in your own frickin' front yard. And you don't leave the key on the floor of your bedroom. Right. Why even take the key out of the car? 
Right. Were you afraid somebody was going to steal it off your property? Why would you even take the key? Before I even knew where this thing was going, okay, because uh, I'll tell you, this is how um, little I knew about this um, this series. Um, I watched the first one because you told me to, and you're like, yeah, let's do Making a Murderer or Making a Murderer. And I said, okay, I'll watch it. I watched the first one. I was horrified. I cried. I never looked at it again. And then when we were talking the other night while we were doing the Better Call Saul podcast, um, I, you know, and we'd talked about me coming back and doing it. And then you said, watch episode three, and then we'll podcast about it in a couple of nights. And so I watched it. And I didn't watch number two in between. And so I know nothing. I didn't realize that this was an um, like a continuum of, for one person. I thought that each episode was freestanding. So okay. of, of the 10, I didn't realize it was documentary series like that, like, like it was covering one person. So when I came back on and it was still about Stephen Avery, I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I thought, oh, gosh, it's got to be, you know, like all 10 of them are about him. Right. And, and so I'm, you know, watching it, I'm thinking, you know, this guy has been through such an awful, awful time. Um, it, and I don't know, you know, anything beyond that. But when I was listening to this um, description of like how the evidence was um, was found, supposedly, and, you know, that brave police officer, I'm going to tell you his name. I actually wrote his name down. Well, I didn't write it, but I put it into my um, my iPad. Um, let's see. Deputy Daniel Kucharski. That's Calumet County Sheriff's Department um, a deputy. He said that the RAV4 key was not there the first time the slippers were moved, but it was in plain sight later. It was there in plain sight later. That guy, he was so brave because he's just like sitting in that courtroom and all those people who are around him who are questioning him are all part of his, like that's his career people. Those are his coworkers and his, you know, um, people that he sees every day at his job, you know, and he had the, the courage to you know, speak the truth while he was on the stand. I thought it was Yeah, fast. he was like that th- thin blonde guy, right? He looked a little different than all the other jamokes. And all, all the other people look like almost cartoonishly stupid. And he, uh, he looked different. He, he was different and he looked a little different. Well, okay, so he was not the thin guy. He was a big guy. He was a big guy. Um, and they just, they showed him... Um, like sitting and testifying, like sitting in the, you know, in the... the yeah, work. I know who you're, exactly who you're talking uh, about. He's uh, not on this very much, but you're right. He did stand up against the, the blue coat of blue that just says to go with, the, go with the flow, go with the story everyone else is telling. Right. And I loved it. I loved it so much because while he was, he was um, you know, discussing it, while he was testifying um, to how the evidence occurred like what happened how they didn't how the key wasn't there the first time and then the second time the key was there but you didn't even have to move the slippers to see the key you know and then the way he said it they said um they said something like but you but you couldn't see the key the first time and he said the key wasn't there the first time right so kind of it was just so i just thought it was so brave well this this let you know i didn't even finish my list jamie but if you missed the second episode you may not know i don't know you may have picked up on it but the crime occurred in manitowoc county the first the rape that stephen was miss miss unjustly accused of and served the time for so 
this also occurred in Manitowoc County. So to make it appear as if there's no conflicting uh, interests by the law enforcement, they put the prosecution team into the next county, Calumet County, the mm. investigators and detectives, so that it wasn't Manitowoc County investigating itself, essentially. So that key that they found was found by Detective Link, who works for Manitowoc County. For some reason, he's he's at the scene while while the Calumet County guys are doing their job. He's on the scene dropping the freaking key or finding the key. I guess I can't say he dropped it allegedly, but he found, he's the one who found the key. He's not even in part of a part of the investigation. He's not <laughs> even supposed to be there. It's just so, sickening. So I'll do my list again. The discoverer of the car is the victim's cousin. The defendants are the law enforcement people accused in the civil suit. The accused is the proven criminal, Stephen Avery, uh, proven only by public opinion. The car is hidden on his own property. The burns are bones are burned in his own front yard. The key is on his own floor of his own bedroom. It's found by the guy who was part of the earlier investigation who were going to be prosecuted by the civil lawsuit. Uh, and and it just – you couldn't bake this story. If you wrote this story and tried to present it as a TV show, people would throw their hands up and say, this is ridiculous. This whole premise is not even believable. Yeah, I mean uh, – and so I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I want to say it while – you're giving this list of things. And while I'm thinking about it, the um, Brendan's attorney actually ended up recusing himself later because he was a relative of the, of the victim. He was a distant cousin of the victim. Right. So it's just like, it's just like everybody over, what is it? Like, you know, freaking, um, you know, like the South. Have you ever <laughs> been to Wisconsin? 60s, you know, everybody's related to one another. What it, you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, you think you would know that going in. Well, that's what I'm saying. It just seems so contrived, you know, like maybe he did know. Maybe, you know, that the reason they... You know, they had him, you know, as an attorney assigned in the first place was so that he could recuse himself at some point if he needed to, you know? Yeah. Another thing you said, Jamie, was pretty interesting in that you watched the first episode and then thought, wow, that's quite a story. And then you think, okay, they're going to do another one, episode two, be another person, a whole new crime. Because you think that powerful little one hour of that first person, like, oh, wow, what a story. But it's the same freaking person 10 times. There's 10 episodes of this. I mean, we just watched the third episode and you're like, holy fuck, that's enough. Right. This is enough. This story is fascinating. What a story. But there's seven more. Yeah. There's seven more episodes of this. Like, how? what else is there to tell? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Right. Uh, I got a full head of steam worked up about this. <laughs> but, okay, so back to the story. Um, the civil attorney, Kelly, who is Stephen's attorney in a civil suit, gives the opinion that Stephen can get a d- good defense, but he's going to need money. And um, he's now he needs that defense because this hearing, as I said, determines that there's enough cause to hold the trial. Uh, so then he talked to a other, few other people. Mike Halbach just gives his opinion that, oh, clearly he's guilty. Uh, he has no motivation to think Stephen should be guilty. I know he wants to find the sis- sister's murderer, but, I mean, don't you want to find the right murderer, not just anybody who can fill the part? You want to find the right guy, right? Yes. It, it, well, if you're interested in justice, yeah. I mean, even if, even if it's your family member, it's your sister, you want the right person to be caught, not just anyone, to, so you feel satisfied. That's right. And then they have Stephen in this cartoon jail suit. God, I mean, 
you put that on a show that people are going to go, you got to be kidding me. Get the guy a normal-looking jail suit so we don't get laughed off television with this thing. Mm-hmm. But they really put him in that thing. All right, his bond is $500,000, Jamie, and he's kept 40 miles from home. And um, he, there's an odd phone call at this point between Stephen and his parents and his brother Chuck. And, the, and he kind of says, if you don't get me out of here in two weeks, this is it. It's, it's going to be over. I guess the implication that I can't take it, I'm just going to kill myself or I'm, I'm yeah. going to end it somehow. Yeah. And his father expresses that he's going to put the business up for bond and that poor people lose. Um, and Jamie, do you think there's justice in this world or do you think that it's really true that poor people don't have nearly the chances people that have resources. Absolutely. Poor people don't have nearly the chances that people have resources have. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm afraid that's true. And that really sucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really does. does. It, you see it a couple times in this, the idiot guy who doesn't realize he's the second cousin, like you just mentioned. Um, then we see the next public defender that Brandon's going to get and wait till you see that guy. Um, but you're right. It's just it's just not fair. People that don't have money don't get nearly the defense or the medical care or any you know just that you don't get as much service as you do as if you have wealth. It's true. Uh, and then his poor mother, Jamie, poor mother Dolores, tries to encourage him when she hears this this business about in two weeks I'm going to end it if I'm not out. She actually spurs him along. Actually, to tells him to be strong. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of like this woman. You know, I like this woman and her spunk and, and her in her facing up to this this huge force against her and her family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's she really is my favorite um, of everybody that's on there because she's so, you know, she's so quiet. She says very, very, very little. I didn't know she'd ever spoken um, aside from the first episode where we didn't hear much from her either. Um, but, you know, it's just you see that. And I'm a mother. And to, you know, to imagine what could be going through her heart and her mind at any moment in time, I just can't even I can't even imagine it. I, I don't know how I could contain myself if it were me. Had this even just been the first time, like, oh, my son's accused and he's not guilty. But this is the after he's gotten out of jail after 18 years already. It's like yeah. history repeating itself. Yeah. All right. Even Nancy Grace weighs in. She thinks he's guilty. She's got that guilty smirk on her face. God, Nancy they dig Grace. up the old cards to his kids where he threatens his ex-wife and tells them he's going to kill her. And uh, they, you know, they, a lot of people say that the documentarians, what's the right freaking word for that? Documenters paint this to make Stephen look innocent, but everyone else paints him to look guilty. So I don't mind the fact that the documenters yeah. make him look innocent or try to. You, you had it right. It's documentarians. All right. Yeah. Sounds like a sounds like a horoscope phase. I'm a documentarian. <laughs> I was born in the fifth phase. But they dig they dig up all this old crap on them that and they, these big sharpie written notes. Come on, man. <laughs> Again, if you put that in a show, people would go, people don't write letters with Sharpies for inches tall. What the hell was that? <laughs> I was try I was honestly trying to figure out I mean, did people write what is it? I mean, is it that they're in this small town or small community area and they figure people are illiterate so they just write really big? What what the hell was that? It might be just so cold in the room that you can't hold with just two <laughs> fingers. You got to hold the whole sharpie with your whole fist. I don't know. 
but it's 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 insanely stupidly funny to see that ridiculous note. Mike, I was just like, what the hell? I mean, I was <laughs> I was trying to figure out if they had written it that way for the effect for TV or what happened, but those were the real notes. What did you think of Steven's father? He's, oh, well, I don't know. He's a trooper too. He's angry. He's quietly angry and he's he's staunchly defending his son. Yes. I admire the father a lot too. I, I admire both this father and mother. Yeah, I have nothing bad to say about either one of his parents. I really fully, completely sympathize with those people. You know, I mean, yeah, we can talk about how backward, you know, that situation is. I mean, it's really it's actually surprising to me how backward it is up there and how rural it is up there. But um, but those people, I have nothing bad to say about them. They find a few citizens that opine that he does look framed. They find some bar looks like Chuck. It's Chuck, the brother, playing pool. And I don't know if that's his girlfriend or his friends, but they're playing pool. And they t- the, the, media, the media talks to these people. And, you know, these people know the math. They, they may be simpletons in Wisconsin that just play pool for entertainment. But they know, like, hey, huge money at stake? Sure, they could have set it up. It's pretty clear that this might have happened this way. Yeah, like so. that lady who says, who says, you know, I'm going to say it even though, you know, it might not be a popular opinion. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Says, yeah, I, yeah, I think they did. They, I think they might have done it. Yeah, I think they might have done it. I thought that was brave too. So Avery settles his civil suit for not 36 million, Jamie, not 18 million, but 240,000. Right. And he essentially does it to get the money to find some lawyers so he can save his life yes pretty pretty sad math there it's horrible and they interview the sheriff who was part of the civil suit sheriff kuchorik he's relieved the media interviews him on his front doorstep good to have it over with she's good for you buddy there's still somebody else on the hook for this that's going to be sucked away to jail for probably the rest of his life sadly steven's only connection in jail is his phone he talks with his sister and he tells her why he settled for the lower money, and that's just to get a better lawyer. Mm-hmm. So his civil lawyers were Kelly and this other guy, Stephen Glynn, and they just kind of say he lost out because of the math. He needed the money for this defense, and he's not going to get anywhere near what he deserves for his 18 years in jail. That's, see, that's awful. And if they are able to prove that, that he – or they're – Unable to prove him guilty of this, they should. He should be able to open back up that civil suit because it's not fair. You know, they yeah. were the ones that are being sued, and then they somehow were able to accuse him of another murder in order to put him in a position where he needed to actually settle to get the money. Yeah, um, it's it's sad. They show a montage of him aging. Now, more more good videography by these people. They show him aging. Yeah. His family just looks so sad and broken, defeated, and it's cold and it's winter and it's poverty. God, it's just painted so bleakly. Yeah. All right, so the, the civil attorney Glenn calls him, Glenn, and Glenn does something really good for him because he has referrals for him, and that's how he actually finds Dean Strang and Jerry Buting. Uh, Dean Strang is the civil attorney Glenn's ex-partner, and so he re- he recommends that Stephen hire Dean Strang. And this guy's a stud. Both these guys are studs, man. Jerry Buting, Dean Strang. And they start right away. They jump right in. I don't know how much money they got. It had to be south of 240000 so probably not nearly what they could have made on the real market. 
they, they did this for a year or some extended time. That's not a lot of money for two lawyers right. at their caliber. But they're climbing through the mud and the rocks and they're climbing around the cars and the junkyard, and they're really working on this. They, they jump right in. Yep. And they also believe it could be a setup by the cops. So, uh, Jamie, in your short viewing of this 10-episode series, is that what you've come to believe, that it's a setup? I do believe it's a setup. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it would be really, really, really difficult. And, you know, okay, so when I was getting ready to do the podcast with you, I um, went to, I guess I think it was a Wikipedia um, article on on this. Um, and um, they were saying that some criticism has been that um, people didn't think that the documentarians were um, fair. They thought that they were sort of, you know, sympathetic to the Avery cause. Um, but I have to say that even if that were the case, I think I might <laughs> feel the same way. But um, but also that, um, you know, my impression is that they I'm, I'm really impressed with with what they've done, with what they've created, because this is really this is 10 years of time. This is ten years of time that that it took to take to create this um, this documentary series, um, and then you know the other thing is that you know I it's so tragic to me um, that you know if if I were not already <laughs> you know ensconced in a career I might take up the cause of um, you know finding justice for people like um, well there is a public petition going around that people are signing to help get Stephen a new trial. Oh um, God. You're not going to tell me this man is still in prison. Yeah, he's still in prison. <laughs> still oh, in prison. And it's more than 10 years. I know they worked on it for 10 years, but they they had to go back to the early part of the whole crime in life years as 18 plus before when he was in prison for that time, too. Wow. Now, that's research time, but still, it's it's a lot of work to, to put this together in a, in a pal, pal, palatable way for us to believe it i mean it has to be believable even no matter how unbelievable it is it's still got to appear to have some sort of logic to it all right jamie steven says now i have a chance i have at least a chance i got a couple lawyers and i got a a little bit of money to pay them with so at least that's why he did it he has a chance Um, All right, March 1st, law enforcement has a press conference with their awful, Jamie, awful, god-ass, awful Wisconsin sweaters. Uh, And uh, near this time, they take 16-year-old Brandon into custody, and they take him into custody because he has admitted involvement and implicated Stephen. And we'll get into the details that they pry out of this poor kid. Uh, but but in the in the meantime, Brand, um, Brandon's mother is Barb Janda. Brand, Brandon is Stephen's nephew. Barb Janda is Stephen's sister, so he's the, she's the mother. She calls Stephen in jail and says, "You can rot in hell." <laughs> yeah. and I hope you never get out of there. Now, this woman, Jamie, is no rocket scientist either. No. Um, sadly, this is comically sadly, she's she's slowly turns to believe. Well, maybe there is some logic to this, and she starts to slowly see. I think that Brandon got railroaded by the cops because the cops have a reason to do it, and it's not just evil Uncle Stephen. Right. I mean, what is the deal? I I don't know. 
those people, it, it, it almost seems like there's a especially large amount of people who have very questionable IQs. What's the deal with that in that area? I, I believe it's true. I believe the people, they're just not, they're unfortunately not very smart, not very aware that. You don't talk to people. I mean, if they would have just followed some simple, simple rules, like don't talk to anybody without a lawyer present. Don't let people search your property without you being present or having representation present. Simple stuff that everybody kind of knows, but they don't. They're, They're just simpletons, and they get in big trouble because of it. It's crazy to me. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know how that, how is it that I've lived my entire life in this country and I had no clue that there are people like that up in Wisconsin? I had no clue. Well, I think there's people like that everywhere, but I, I, I'll repeat what I said at the very beginning. What the hell are we doing as public, the public that does have a little bit more average common sense? What are we doing watching this happen? How can this happen in our society? Yeah, right. Right. Ken Kratz, okay, next. Ken Kratz, the prosecutor, comes on the press conference and warns children away from the TV because he's going to describe the crime, Jamie. Yeah. Here's the crime. Brandon comes home from school, hears screams in Stephen's trailer, knocks on the door. Stephen answers in a sweaty huff, greets him and lets him in, shows him the crime scene. It's Teresa naked and shackled to the bed, begging for her life. It, it doesn't happen this way, Jamie. It, no, it's it too dramatic. It's too... It's too it's a novel, right? It's a Pulp Fiction novel. Yeah. You don't let your nephew in if you're raping and killing a woman. You just say, hey, go away. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Well, you know, and the thing I thought was, you know, she's being raped and murdered, and she's actually talking to Brendan and saying, you can stop this. I mean, that's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't anybody be shutting her up? She's screaming so loudly that he can hear her screams from so very, very far away, the way that the the prosecutor was describing it. He actually said that. It was so far away, but he could still hear her screams. Who takes that much time to rape and murder somebody or whatever he was doing to that lady? Um, You know, when there's obviously people around, it's just so stupid. It has every trope of a of a pulp fiction novel, crime novel, in this description of the crime. Yeah. Stephen enjoy Stephen invites Brandon to join in, and then she begs them to stop. Okay, and then this is what happens to poor Teresa. And and poor Teresa, and for true truly I I hope I'm not just repeating things that everybody is already thinking, but I you know, Teresa poor Teresa, she does end up murdered, so that's horrible. But the story is comically, freaking comically bad. Okay, here's what happens to her. They cut her throat. She doesn't die. First of all, you're a dope if you try to kill somebody in your own bedroom like that by cutting somebody's throat and then expecting to clean it up and get away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, they cut her throat. They raped her. They strangled her. They shot her. They burned her. This is, this is just such imbecilic fish, fiction. Yeah, I mean, and not only okay. So yes, I mean, you're exactly right. Um, that you, know, but then after all that, there was no blood. No, no. Like, I mean, how does that happen? If you're so stupid that you would do all of this, but yet you're genius enough to remove all the blood from the crime scene. 
Yeah, and and we'll, we won't just rant about how stupid everybody is. We'll flip on the other side of this. What did happen to Teresa? Somebody had to kill her. You know, something had to happen to her. Do they address that? Uh, you'll have to. You, it's better for me to hear you think about it as you watch it than for me to just tell you now. Okay. Um, but, but the truth is somebody had to kill her. I mean, you have to, you're going to have to, uh, determine, did the police do this? Did they kill an innocent person just to get off the hook on a crime or a civil, a civil obligation that, that, that does not get answered. So it's, it's pretty interesting to have to, I mean, it's easy to just say they planted everything on them and they set this all up, but then what really does happen? What really did happen? Mm. All right. Um, God, where were we? Okay, so more courtroom scenes, more Mike Halbach, the brother, and the, and the family. They show them as Brandon's led into court. Um, poor Brandon might be more tragic than Stephen. <laughs> He's so helpless in law. And you're a mother, and maybe, maybe you have some take on this, Jamie. But he has no idea of where he is or the consequences. Um, his bail is lower than Stephen's. It's 250000 and his his temporary lawyer here, his appointed lawyer, asked for that lower bail even than two hundred and fifty thousand. They don't, I don't think they say what he asked it to be. He just says it should be lower than two fifty. Uh, okay, the the episode continues on. The Wisconsin Innocent Project now backs away from Stephen. They were backing him totally in the in the false uh, rape case, but now they want no part of him. They want to wash their hands of it all. Um, and this is where Brandon's lawyer recuses himself because he's a relative of Teresa. I guess he just figures that out at this point. Yeah. Uh, Barb calls Stephen in jail and asks for money for a new lawyer for Brandon, almost sarcastically, because she thinks this is all Stephen's fault. Mm-hmm. God, she's so pitifully stupid. <laughs> this is pitiful. Stephen denies all this, that that it's his fault and it's his involvement and he just suggests to her, go see him and talk to him. Um, and then then tellingly, really tellingly, Jamie, he tells her, I love you, like a brother might say to a sister in more normal circumstances. Yeah. But he sounds pretty fucking sincere when he says, hey, I love you. And like, no, you know, she's stressed and she's troubled and hurting. And he tells her, I love you. Well, I, I just think that that whole phone conversation was so telling. I really, really, really was, I marveled at that phone conversation because it was so natural and you could not have created, you couldn't have written something from your mind with a degree in psychology that would have made someone sound more innocent. That yeah, was a yeah. conversation between two people who really were not connected to these horrific crimes. That was a conversation between two people who didn't have a super high intelligence between the two of them, who were just dealing with the circumstances that they'd been dealt. And you could hear, you know, the the history of that relationship between the two of them, because it's like you were saying, there's this, you know, this familiarity because they're family, right? And they're just having a conversation. And Stephen... Instead of being like somebody who really did some crap and, you know, saying, you know, something like, you know, well, I'm innocent. I didn't do it, you know, or something like that. It's for him, from his point of view, (laughs) this is a fact of his life at this point. I don't know how much 
of his life he spent, like what the percentage, what the ratio is of years free to years imprisoned, but certainly in his adult life, you know, the majority of his life has been spent as a prisoner. And he's coming from that point of view, you know, basically not being incredulous that this has happened, but saying, hey, you know what? I didn't do this. So you need to take this up with Brandon, you know, and find out what happened because, and he's just telling her the facts. Just right. And, and he doesn't expect this to be played to an audience. He just thinks he's talking to his sister. He he doesn't yeah. know this is going to be played back on a document, document, documentary. Right. <laughs> I'm having trouble with that word. Documentary. And he certainly doesn't probably think it's going to be played back in court. He's just talking to his sister and he's sincere. It's not, yep. he's not, it's, these are not the actions and words of a murderer. Right. All right. Um, so Barbara finally talks to her son, and she believes him, and she, and she thinks finally now that maybe law enforcement persuaded him to do some of this or say some of these things. Uh, and, and now even even slip slipperier down the slope, Jody, the girlfriend, is in jail for seven months for DUI. If this story couldn't get sadder, it, that's another sad feature to Stephen's life. Stephen's poor mother picks her up from jail after seven months for a DUI. And um, they go home. Jody goes home and she looks at her trashed trailer, Stephen and hers trailer. And it's been really trashed by those investigators. And she's looking for her purse, Jamie. Yeah. Now, here's another there's there's another example here of rocket scientism not being in effect. Uh, she she's wondering where her purse is, like it's going to be sitting there on the counter. Uh, another <laughs> another sadly ignorant person in this in this uh, story, this saga. Yeah, she goes to try to visit Stephen in jail with the media in her face, left and right, asking her smirking, cheerful questions. Yeah, and she's too stupid to even defend herself. You know, to be angry, even get the fuck out of my face. Yeah. Right. Put the push the camera down. She just yeah. smiles shyly and uh, meekly away from this. You know, I don't want to talk to you. I'm just going to hide under my hood. Yeah. God, this. Oh God, it's so awful. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> Sorry to choke <laughs> your day. Uh, it's funny. It's really gloomy here in California too. It's like it's been beautiful. It's been like 70 and sunny, and today it's like rainy and cloudy and a little cooler. <laughs> All right, perfect. Perfect for the mood. (laughs) All right, March 17th, now Judge Willis reports that the evidence is now more than circumstantial because of Brandon's uh, interview with the cops. There's three new charges. There are three new charges now against Stephen. Sexual assault, false imprisonment, and kidnapping. Um, And the property cannot be used for the bail. And by the way, buddy, the bail goes up from $500,000 to $750,000. So Stephen finds out there's no bail now, and he just says, it doesn't matter if if I got out. It doesn't matter if I got out because innocent people don't run. You don't have to worry. So, Jamie, this guy, Stephen, think about this. He's either a mastermind, the best criminal of the 20th century, 20th slash 21st century, or he's delusional. He's got a split personality, or he's innocent. You mm-hmm. got to pick one of those three because he's not he's not guilty and stupid. If he's stupid, if he's guilty, he can't say these things. Right. He's he would look guiltier. 
he would trip up. He would trip himself up with his words. All right. So I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, and he was talking to me recently about um, the the kinds of cases that he sees, like in a really general sense. And he was saying how um, he's been working in his field for about 20 or so years, and he said that he's become really jaded because you get people who come in and they swear that they're not doing this thing or that thing, and you have all these medical tests done on them because you're looking for some exotic diagnosis, right? They've got a brain tumor or, you know, they've got, you know, some sort of weird illness that makes them behave in a certain way. And the fact is, like, you know, 99.9% of the time in his 20 years, the exotic thing is not the thing. <laughs> it is the fact that they're either on drugs or they're pregnant or they're lying or they stole or they, you know, they really did the bad thing that they're trying to find a reason to say that they didn't do. Yeah, it's Occam's razor. You hear hoofbeats in the night, it's a horse. It's not a zebra. It's probably what, you know, it's the obvious most likely thing is probably what it is. Right. There you go. So, um, so just you know, um, what we were talking about I actually lost the point of what we we're talking about. But I mean, you know, the guy is sounds like an innocent person. The chances are not that he is a criminal mastermind or that he has a split personality. The chances are that he's actually an innocent person. Right. Or at least innocent of this. I mean, the guy's kind of a dirtbag, losery type of guy. I hate to hate to judge him like that, but he pretty much is. He doesn't have much of a success story in his life. <clears throat> in his life, got to get choked up here. But he's but he's probably just that, right? And, and he, he's not smart enough to pull off this ruse over everybody. That hey, I'm because his story is consistent all the way through. Yeah. Now there is evidence, Jamie, or not maybe not evidence, but on the periphery of all this, I forget Reddit or somewhere, because this because this little saga has a million tentacles that reach in and reach out from it. But uh, one psychiatrist has po- poised posed the opinion that you if you're probably guilty if you offer reasons why something happened, like. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Mama, I didn't take that money out of your purse. It was probably the neighbor who came over. And if you start to offer an, another reason, mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feature of being guilty yourself. Mm-hmm. And Stephen does do that later on in this series. Hmm. So this particular psychiatrist tends to think that he is lying, that he, because offers these other options, is probably guilty of this crime. Hmm. But I don't know. I think it's those three. Like, he's either crazy he's got a double personality he's a mastermind or he's innocent and i'm gonna think he's innocent like yeah. you said it's the easiest it's the simplest that's santi- that's scientific method scientific method is the simplest answer is the right one yeah you know i don't know i don't i don't yeah i don't i don't talk this guy down for being somebody who is so um criminally uh mentally ill that he could finesse a, you know a 10 year saga um and still have people doubting you know whether he's done it or not i don't i don't have him chalked down for that and i don't have him you know as as some sort of a mastermind so you know the the simplest answer is he didn't do it so now in this episode his brother chuck starts to say that he thinks steven did do it 
but he doesn't know why. Can't offer why he would do it. Right. And, and Jamie, some people think that Chuck may actually be the perpetrator here. Because Chuck lived, I think Chuck lived next door to Stephen in that trailer. Mm-hmm. Or, or somebody else does. I, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch these episodes coming up. But, the, but some people actually think it might have been Chuck. Um, do you think, Jamie, that because another premise here is that because Chuck says this, that, hey, he spent 18 years with other inmates that might have turned him into a murderer and a rapist. Do you think that you can acquire the traits of your fellow inmates just by being in prison with them? No. You would have to be a person who's predisposed to that kind of behavior in the first case. And even if you were predisposed to being that sort of a person in the first place, there are just from a criminal science kind of a standpoint, from a social science, psychology, anthropology sort of stance, um, you wouldn't graduate from being somebody who exposes himself, you know, or who drives drunk to being someone who would rape someone. Those are different categories of crime. It's funny that you use the word graduate because a lot of people do think, and I'm a little torn about this. I'm not so sure. A lot of people call up like the penitentiary the college for criminals. That's how they learn how to pick locks and steal cars and and that again, in fact I mean, low level, you know, graffiti artists do come out as seasoned criminals by learning things from other inmates. Well, okay. So yeah, let's say that that's that's exactly what happens. He goes to prison and he spends half a lifetime in prison, half of an adult lifetime in prison, and he comes out and he's got skills, right? He can break into a car. He knows how to kite checks or whatever it is that people do. Um, Whatever it is, he knows how to do those things. A person who steals and drives drunk or whatever is not the same kind of criminal as a person who rapes. Rape is a very specific kind of crime. It, it requires a certain kind of criminal profile and a certain kind of psychological makeup. Murder, like the kind of murder that this man is accused of, it's a very long, ritualized, um, brutal yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a psychology more than a technical skill one would learn, like how to pick a lock or how to hotwire a car. Car. I I think you're right about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you you would have to have a lot of very specific kinds of hallmarks to your makeup as a person to be able to co- commit the kind of crime that this man. That whatever happened to this woman, what happened to her is not run of the mill by any means. I mean, they they cut her throat. She didn't die. And they kept her alive and tried to keep killing her in a while after they raped her and, and, you know, and did all this other stuff to this woman. And she's crying and screaming out for help. This is monstrous, like on a level that you don't see. Like it's a kind of crime that's not heard of. Right. You know, because it's so awful. Somebody who would commit something like that is a special sort of person. Right. Plus, in our our earlier podcast, Jamie, episodes one and two, I've kind of figured out that Stephen is basically, he's pretty much a happy person. 
even though he's in these dire circumstances, he's basically a happy person. He was he was happy to come home from prison. They had a little picnic with him with you know with beer and hot dogs and the cheap way that you have fun outside in the cold in Manitowoc. But he looked happy. I mean, he's That's- happy with this little Jody girlfriend that he wants to marry, and he's we want he loves his family. I mean, he seems basically happy. And you don't throw that away just for a ten minute rape of a woman on your property. That right. part does not add up. Well, and it it just really you're right. You're exactly right. It doesn't fit in any way, shape, or form because, I mean, that conversation that he had with Jody, um, where you know they showed her and you could hear his voice and they're talking on the phone. That is not a man who would hurt. Uh, you know, another woman, the way that he's talking to her so sweetly. And it wasn't like some kind of creepy sweet. It was kind of like a simple sweet, like, you know, oh, you know, you don't, you know, you don't say enough that you, you know, want to be with me and, you know, that kind of stuff that, that this guy doesn't, he's not connected to this horrific stuff that they're accusing him of. Right. They're so naked too. In front of these cameras, they're so, they're emotionally naked. Yeah. Um, they they show a couple scenes now with Barb just talking about how her parents don't talk to her anymore. They've disowned her. They kind of believe Stephen and not her and Brandon. So that mm-hmm. so the mom looks super sad. The mom mm-hmm. is up all night crying and sleeplessly spending the night. The dad says the family's all torn apart. Um, there's never any makeup in these camera shots or fine clothing or cleaning up the kitchen before the camera turns on. That's just these people bare ass naked. Mm-hmm. That's um, right. Pretty that's revealing. It, it is, it, and that's the that's the part that's so hard to watch, you know, because there there really is no pretense, you know, with these people. Yeah, no pretense at all. Even when Jody is talking to Stephen, it's just basic, basic. You know, have faith. I know. <laughs> simple, yeah. simple. You know, I mean, she has no depth to her intimacy with him, or she clearly has no intellect to to dig down deep into it's like i know okay i'd like to hear more from you okay she can't even think of something else to say other than okay or have faith right it's like it's you know these people aren't concocting the crime of the century here uh all right um mark gundrum now the the representative from the state of wisconsin reflects a couple interesting points here jamie first he says wow we may have helped a murderer we may have helped a murderer on our initial um, support of Stephen Avery, and had we not helped him, Teresa might be alive today. But then he says um, it's also maybe true that his false imprisonment might have saved others. So it might have been good that he was in jail because it might have saved others during those 18 years. Hmm. Pretty crazy, crazy thoughts about like th- you know this guy seemed really sensible. He comes across in I think it's episode two might want to watch that just for the heck of it but he seems really reasonable and smart and like finally somebody can really help steven because if you got a state state representative helping you it seems like you've gotten you know somebody really powerful on your team but now he kind of flip-flops on that yeah um yeah i don't know i that you know that's (laughs) it's a logical um it's 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 a logical fallacy to reason the way that he was reasoning to go with uh, the flow 
Well, no. I mean, you know, he's saying, oh, well, you know, I guess it was, you know, a benefit that he was in jail because of, you know, whatever. It's actually, you know, it, from a logic standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, um, you know, that none of that is meaningful. Isn't and, it cowardice, though, a little bit of cowardice on his part to not say, let's just hold our horses, everybody. Do you really think this guy, after he's spending 18 years in jail that he didn't want, that he wasn't guilty of, that he would jump right back into jail by committing a crime like this? Well, and I mean, and it's so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me at all, you know, that he would, I don't know. I'm, I'm, while you're talking, I'm looking up like um, the psychology of violent sexual criminals and trying to find like, you know, information about like what, you know, are the hallmarks of these kinds of people? Like what, you know, because they, they, they clearly, I mean, these people are marked like social science has, it has indicated who these people are based on their psychological profiles it's you know and and i don't believe that people like that um tend to have low iqs and in fact that is what i'm going to search (laughs) average iq yeah we get a quick little report here from steven's very first lawyer in 1985 either tessa evans or Teresa evans i don't remember what my notes are but um she she says that this new crime is way too sophisticated for the steven i knew there you go. Um, that prison might have changed him into somebody else, but uh, she kind of downplays that, like we were just talking about. Like, I don't think that happens that way. Mm-hmm. All right, now Jody tells her story. Jody, the girlfriend, what, that well, while she was in jail for the DUI, that investigators tried to get her to turn against Stephen uh, by showing her pictures of Teresa's body, the burned body and the slashed body. Um, and she finally says, she makes a request that they do not talk to her anymore. And then right after that's when they went after Brandon and started talking to him. Yeah. Even on the same couch, <laughs> the same yeah. freaking couch that they interview both people on. Yeah. I mean, that's just so, it's so gross. And, you know, they had the, the camera with the date on it, you know, so that you could see, I mean, it was right like immediately after. And it's just so awful. Because you can see the reasoning. I mean, like, everything's there to make you understand, you know, what these people's motivations were, you know, and and where the reasoning came from. It's all there. Yeah. We hear from Jerry Buting now, the the heroic lawyer, one one half of the dynamic duo lawyers, Jerry Buting, says that some people believe Stephen and that Brandon would have been his alibi, so... Um, discrediting Brandon or getting a flip on Steven is really, really doubly bad for him because he's not only flipping on him, but he was essentially his alibi. Um, but the police just worked Brandon like a, like a, like a puppet. Um, they told him that his mom said it was all okay to come and talk. They take him out of high school and bring him in and interview him. And they tell him, we know things, we know everything. So just be honest with us. And if you lie, there are going to be problems. Um, and then they even have a confession expert come on the on the documentary here and says who says be honest means really it's translated to mean tell us what we want to hear. And we'll just say be honest until you keep changing your story till we hear what we want to hear from you. 
Well, I mean, and it was just so tragic hearing him, you know, he, he was, he was completely, he didn't know what to say to these guys. You could see, you know, how confused he was and, you know, and they're saying, you know, what else did he do to her head? And he's, you know, he's just giving all these crazy answers. We cut our hair. He cut our hair. I mean, he didn't know what to say, you know, clearly the guy didn't, he, 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 there was nothing that he could give them. Yeah, this interviewing expert, Professor Lawrence's confession expert, says that he thinks <coughs> that detectives may not even have realized that they were doing this, but I think they did. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, he, they definitely knew. They knew. So Buting says that they blew the one fact that they, nobody knew how Teresa died and that she, in fact, was shot, and that's what really killed her, so that nobody knew that. So if they could have gotten Brandon to say that and reveal that, then he would have really had to have been there. But they do what you said. They, I mean, I actually put down their conversation here. Something with the head, oh, we cut her hair. What else? We punched her. What else? We cut her throat. What else? We know. Tell us who shot her. He did. So they lead him right to exactly what they want. I mean, they, he didn't even say it. They said it. Right. I mean, what a couple of lame fucking detectives. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a crime in and of itself. Even if Stephen is guilty as hell, they should be guilty of being, I guess, some might call them good detectives for getting what they want. But they're not after justice. They're after a confession. Yeah. I mean, that's, an implication. that's exactly That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, just the whole thing is, oh, God, it's so awful. I can't believe you got me to watch this thing. (laughs) Now, Brandon (laughs) just wants to go back to class. He still doesn't understand what's going on here. Am I going to be able to get to class by 1.30 for my next period? 129. Uh, And you know what that made me, that put me in mind of? That he knows, like, like even if you're going to turn in your project late, you got to get there before the class is over, you know, at 1.30. So you got to get there by 1.29, yeah. you know? Poor kid. He's clueless. They come, he's still clueless. So they come back, back in to arrest him, and they say, did you know that this was coming? And he still doesn't know, Jamie. He says, is this for, like, one day or what? He doesn't get it. He's not, uh, he's not able to be interviewed like this. He doesn't get what he's telling them. Right. Uh, it uh, smartly buting the, the rocket scientist lawyer, who actually really is smart, says there's no emotion from Brandon. He's not worried. He's not afraid. He's just, he's just talking to these guys. So he's probably not really part of this crime. He's just talking to people that he wants to please them. He wants to give them what they want to hear. Right. And, and everything you talked about, too, Jamie, the physical evidence counters Brandon's story. There's no blood, and that that bedroom looked pretty neat even after all the investigators going through it. There's no disarray, I mean, yeah. other than the normal slobbiness that this guy probably had in his bedroom. Yeah. You just... can't slash a body up in there and not have blood everywhere. Exactly. Where's her hair that they cut off? You know? They cut off her hair. They, 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 they slashed her throat. They raped her for I don't know how long, hours. You know, she, there's no physical evidence, you know, of her. There's no DNA. There's, uh, come on. All right, Jamie, it's almost over. Um, Barb Janda 
Brandon's mother gives us this, the dope on what's going on. If Brandon testifies against Stephen, he gets 20 years plus parole. And if he does not testify against his uncle, he gets life without parole. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that is some shit negotiating. Yeah. He's like, dude, if I testify, I'm, I'm, you drop charges against me. I mean, where, who's supposed to stand up and say that for this poor kid? Exactly. Nobody. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's a, like a game of imbecilic charades and every, you know, it's like the imbeciles versus the evil people. Yes. That's uh, perfect. All right, Jamie, how, how else was your Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out my Thursday was pretty damn good. <laughs> hey, you're a free woman in America with a car that might work every now and then. <laughs> Jamie, yeah. these, these episodes have titles. Um, episode four, this was episode three, Plight of the Accused. Mm-hmm. Episode four next time is Indefensible. Are you going to show up for that one? Okay. How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> I can bring in my crack team of replacements. <laughs> I don't know. You might have to. <laughs> it would actually probably be better to have three people that throw a little humor and not just two people lamenting how sadly this guy got railroaded yeah, or these I, guys. Yeah. yeah. It might be good. Oh, All right. yeah. So Mike, um, huh, I am really, really, really tired, <laughs> but I'm so glad that we got to do this early. We should tell the audience we were going to start about 15 minutes ago, but, um, I hit you up and asked if you were ready to go early and you were. So now we get to both go to sleep. Well, I don't know what you're going to do. It's, it's 6.15. <laughs> okay, so I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning my time here on the East Coast. So I've got to, you know, if I hurry up, I can get about five or six hours. All right, Jamie. Well, don't do anything to that mechanic that's going to get you in trouble. Dude, like, I, you know what? He, he left his hat in my car, and um, I found it Is that today. a euphemism? Oh, oh God, Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. I played a little bit of that guy on our Better Call Saul podcast. I let a little bit of it through. I know. But you know what you said? You said that I was talking for 12 minutes. That was not a 12-minute conversation. Uh, it was easily, Jamie. I have, no. a cl- I have a thing. I have to know how much to cut out. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry I took that long on the phone. But that was a dude. He's awful. All right. Well, hopefully that'll be over for you soon. You'll get your car working and be free of him. Okay. Except for his remnants of his hat and other things he's left behind for you. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to give his hat back. All right, Jamie. West Coast Project, Making a Murderer, Bombfire. That's us. And we'll be back next time for Indefensible, one way or another. How do people <laughs> reach you in the meantime, Jamie, on the internet? I am on Twitter. I'm at WordGirly. And I'm at Scathing Tweets. And you can listen to us on Better Call Saul, too. That's right. And, and the Americans starting soon. Yeah, when? Next month, right? Uh-huh. Or, or is it March? This is March. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Let me look it up. I think it might be in March. March 18th? Let me see. Oh, God, if it is March 16th. <gasps> Yay! All right, more work for you. But, of course, the Americans is much more cheerful. Uh, yeah. (laughs) They don't burn bodies. They 
crack them up and bend them into suitcases. Yeah, they crack them and bend the 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 elbows and the joints opposite their normal bend, and then crack everything up, stick them in a suitcase, and then dispose of the suitcase. All right, Jimmy, get crack a lacking. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye, Mike. Bye. <laughs>